Hiya, mate. Hi, John. How's it going? Hello, Jack. How the devil are you? I'm good. I'm excited about this episode, but also I found it incredibly difficult to try and put a list together. So, today we're talking about directors. Yep. And our top five directors. So, not film specific, but obviously directors that, in our view, have a good canon of films, or maybe have just done one film that was just so stand out that they, that they need a mention, right? Exactly. So I, I actually thought this would be easy, but because there are so many top quality directors, it's been really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, but I think I've ended up on a good place, but obviously today's episode, we can't do budget, box office, um, and year necessarily, but we'll talk about a few of the films and... Um, we can still do maybe total grossing and stuff like that. Definitely. Sounds good to me, mate. So so the uh, the question is, pick a director, one of your top directors, and you're going to ask what the total grossing amount of the, the entirety of their films is over their career, yeah? Of all their movies, yeah. And right. And obviously there are a few different lists of the top directors of all time, but someone's created a list on IMDb, which I think will run through the top five. And there's also the Guardian newspapers done a 40 best directors. Okay. Um, maybe actually, maybe we'll just stick to the IMDb since we've. we've I think, all... think we'd be doing IMDb. Let's stick to that, mate. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, before we start, though, John, have you seen anything recently of, of merit? Of merit, um, fa- family film night has uh, taken a bit of a hiatus uh, for some reason. Uh, oh. But I've, I, yeah. Um, what was the last film you watched on Family Film Night? Uh, I think it might be Groundhog Day, actually. Oh, well, that's fine. Really enjoyed that. Um, the did a little Netflix number. Um, something about the Russian submarine that sank in 2000. I don't know if it's called um, Krakus or something like that. But um, yeah, Russian nuclear submarine that uh, goes to the bottom of the Bering Sea. Um, Bering Sea, Balkan Sea, and um, they're looking to uh, obviously rescue um, the submariners. And it's a yeah, true story about that. Very watchable. What's that? Romps along. There's some pretty horrific scenes in that, as you can imagine. So yeah, yeah. ticks all the boxes for me. What about yourself, mate? Uh, I've finally got round to watching 1917. Oh, utterly epic war Which film. Is- yeah, incredible. I absolutely love the whole one-shot thing, um, the one-shot camera technique. I thought it would actually detract from the film and make it a bit difficult to follow. Or, you know, since we're so used to camera shots changing every second that it, yeah. it wouldn't be as easy to concentrate. But I, I, I was just gripped by the whole thing. Just amazing, um, isn't it? That, when that opening sequence where they're just lying under a tree and they get called down to the trenches, they get their orders, then work their way along the trenches and over the top and into no man's land. Yeah. And, and it's just just incredible piece of work, isn't it? Amazing directing. Is it, I was, that? was that Sam Mendes? I'll just check, actually. But um, I also, I, don't know, I thought the way it was put together was really good in that they didn't do loads of obvious things that other war films like that have done, but I also found it really thrilling. Like I found it, it I almost could, would categorise it as a thriller, like suspense and sort of yeah. bit of anxiety in there. And like, you never know what is quite going to happen at any moment, but Definitely. I think it plays on that a bit. And sometimes when nothing happens, yeah. 
makes it more realistic to me. Oh, I think well, it was Sam Mendes. Well, right, yeah. So there's a bit in sort of like war films where there are sequences where you just go, "Oh my God, what, you know, oh, that's that's crazy. Can't believe that's happened because it's the unpre- unpredictability, I suppose." So that it definitely captures that. And then, as you say, there are just moments of sort of like quietness and maybe nothing really happening. And that's war as well, right? So it's, yeah. And and for a film about World War One, where you know hundreds of thousands of people were involved. You don't actually see many people. Yeah. It's quite but then, quiet. It, until you get to the end and there's like, yeah, and there's some really nice cameos and it's almost like becomes a who's who of British actors at the end. Yeah, which is nice. Um, so, top five directors of all time. Uh-huh. Um, on IMDb, this is a, I think this is a private list, so it's, some, it's a list that somebody has created but it's the only list i can find um at number five billy wilder billy wilder this is the uh, fellow that did um the sort of 50s 60s romantic i say rom-coms and stuff i don't know if he did the i did some like it hot i know that absolutely he has won uh one two three four five six academy awards Oh wow! What as um, as best as best director? He's won two best director awards. Okay. He's won two best screenplay awards. Uh, sorry, three best screenplay and then one best picture. Yeah, gotta say, not on my list, but can understand why he's there. Not on my list. Done the apartment, which is one of his most famous ones. Um, so that's it. It's 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 almost like <clears throat> I think is it Jack Lemon in the apartment? I mean, my my point is. Directors have their go-to actors, don't they? Yeah, Jack Lemmon. He also did Sabrina, um, you know, which is Audrey Hepburn. He also did Some Like It Hot, yep. which is Great. Jack Lemmon as well, right? Which I think appeared in a that appeared in another podcast of ours, Some Like It Hot, a rom-com or just a comedies um, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, number four, Quentin Tarantino. Who? Quentin Tarantino. Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, got to say. Probably a bit controversial, but not in my top five. Okay, interesting. Um, but I think a great canon of work. Um, what's your standout Tarantino film? And I'm gonna, I'll tell you what mine is. It's Jackie Brown. I absolutely love that film. I just think it's got that kind of um, that black exploitation feel about it from maybe the 60s, um, early 70s. Yeah, great soundtrack as all all of his films do. Really have. good seventies vibes in it as well. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I don't know. I because I'm such a massive fan of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, but he's also had his fingers in a lot of pies in terms of producing and writing credits. Sure. So you know, there's a few like True Romance he wrote. Right. Which I I really like. Oliver Stone directed. Yeah, and the Val is it, no uh, Christian Slater is it? Yeah, um, uh, you know, big fan of that. Mm. Um, but he didn't direct it or produce it. But anyway, um, so yeah, Tarantino at number four. Okay. Um, why is he at number four on this list? Because it's somebody's personal list, right? That they're to say, yeah, because he's done like all these films. And, right, okay. Well, he's down as being one of the most influential directors of recent times who changed the cinematic world with his unique style. That's an IMDb quote. Right, fair enough. Um, yeah. yeah. Number. Number three, David Lynch. Okay, 
the dark dystopian world of David Lynch's mind. <laughs> I mean, I, lo I love David Lynch, and actually, um, oddly enough, I think he did The Elephant Man, which was the, Man. the least David Lynchian film that you're likely to come across. Mm. But Twin Peaks, um, Mulholland Drive, Eraserhead, Eraserhead, uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah, good shot. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I've seen a few of these, um, but it doesn't make my top five. No, no, not in my top five either. But like, like, like the films that he's done. So number two, we're getting into the thick of it now. Number two, Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock, yeah, not surprised the, he's up there. The inventor of the cameo. Well, his own cameo. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he invented it, didn't he? In sort yes. of doing that kind of uh, yeah. being in every film as a as a background extra kind of thing. There's that great quiz question, isn't there, about you know directors using actors again? The quiz question being um, who, which actor starred the most in all of Alfred Hitchcock's films, and the answer is obviously Alfred. Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the same for who who appears in the most. Um, Marvel films as a superhero because obviously there's people like Ryan Reynolds who's Green Lantern and Deadpool there's Josh Brolin who appears in like you know the Avengers and Deadpool and others yeah. um, obviously Robert Downey Jr. is in all of the Avengers and all of the Iron Mans and some of the Thors but it's the same same answer it's um, it's Stan Lee oh great yeah brilliant who is in every film as a cameo before he died. That's nice. Nice, yeah. nice, nice touch for yourself to be in every film I've, I've made. Yeah. Oh, great. Hitchcock, great, great stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, sort of, you know, paved the way um, yeah. for, for future... Well, changed the film industry, right? But um, the next one is... This should be obvious, right? The... Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to... So I'm going to have a guess. I mean, is it not Steven Spielberg? It is not. Oh, okay. It's Stanley Kubrick. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so you're telling me Steven Spielberg is outside the top five. That's crazy, isn't it? But great. In this list, he is 11th. <laughs> He's not even inside the top 10. No. That's nuts. So, uh, I, Kubrick, for instance, is in my honourable mentions, but... I I basically have cheated on this episode, and okay. I've put a list of four together because I cannot pick a fifth because I don't want to not include the likes of Kubrick right. and, and yeah. others, which we'll go through. Because how can you have a top five directors list without some of these people in? So so so, so should we? We could talk about Stanley Kubrick. There is an honourable mention for you. Maybe fills in a bit of a top five, or there's a gap there. I actually had a top six, so. <laughs> we renamed the podcast Kubrick. top four to six i think um stanley kubrick and i recently watched a documentary called film worker which is basically about his long-standing assistant who helped him do all sorts of jobs um but was basically doing like a a 20-hour day for him um but it was a guy that starred in um one of his one of his films, but went on to, as I say, just basically become his, his bitch, <laughs> right-hand man. But um, films that Stanley Kubrick's done, absolutely standout stuff, isn't there? 
Yeah, and there's, he's not done many films, but the films that he have done have, have all been incredible. But something obviously happened um, beyond uh, sort of the 70s for him because um, in, in a short space of time, he did some huge films um, like Spartacus, Lolita, Doctor Strangelove yeah. um, in, in a few years in the 60s. And then he did Clockwork Orange in 71. Then he did yes. Barry Lyndon in 75, which I've not seen. Have you Barry seen Lyndon is the one that I'm talking about, and it's a guy called uh. Leonard Halley, and this is what that film work, the documentary, is about. But Barry Lyndon is just a really highly regarded film. And it's, I don't know, it's just a bit odd, because it's about a five-year space between all of his films, so it's not as if he's just churning out films left, right and centre. I think Stanley Kubrick was known as a very meticulous, thorough, quite hard-to-work-with kind of guy. Yeah, so, I mean, he does Barry Lyndon in 75, then The Shining in 80, then Full Metal Jacket 87, and then Eyes Wide Shut in 99. So we're talking five five years, seven years, 12 years difference between his films. Mm. Have you seen Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I thought was, I think it's great. I mean, I have to say I'm not the greatest fan of Tom Cruise. Okay. Um, but I I love the idea behind the film, sort of the the psychological thriller aspect of it, and I, I love the whole sort of crazy swingers cult mm. Masonic type feel as well. But um, he died literally days after I think it finished filming. Okay. I haven't but anyway, seen, I haven't seen it. Maybe I should watch it. Oh my god. So, how many episodes are we in now? There's a film that I cannot believe you haven't seen. <laughs> well, I, I think it just got completely panned, and I was like, oh, I can avoid that. And it's, as you say, it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, I think. And I was just like, oh, this is just going to be watching an actor and actress get it on, on screen. Yeah, I mean, it got a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of conspiracies around the final version was not what Kubrick would have wanted. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of people who've said it was and it wasn't, and there was another cut circling around, but it's yeah. definitely worth watching. But anyway, anyway, who is going to go first with one of their top five? Well, yeah, I almost won an episode on Stanley Kubrick. That's, that's the frustrating thing, because you've got this guy who's done Spartacus, which is nuts, and then done he's done his space film, 2001, and... I think it's all great directors should do, have a stab at war films, and Full Metal Jacket being one of the best war films ever. Yeah. So, uh, well, mate, we've got so much to say about films. I think it only do do certain films justice if we have a few breakaway episodes just concentrating on one particular film or something like that as a, as a, as a bonus, I reckon. Um, so, cracking on then, shall I give you one of my... Give me one of your top five. Alfred Hitchcock, uh, uh, inverted commas, the master of suspense. Um, and I, I remember sort of introducing myself to Hitchcock when I was a kid, when um, the BBC were running a Hitchcock season one Christmas, and then really getting into his films. I remember watching Psycho for the first time and going, going into school and talking to my mates about it and going, did you watch Psycho? That was nuts. Um, and watching Dial M for Murder. I mean, Rear Window has got to be one of the best films ever made. It's just that sort of voyeuristic, really, it's a great concept because you're watching somebody 
watching somebody else. I just love yeah. that. There, there, lots of lots of chat around Psycho, obviously, but there's not a lot of people who've potentially watched a full catalogue of Hitchcock movies. Um, and Rear Window stands out. You know, obviously The Birds as well. The Birds is amazing. Um, I mean, some of his early black and white stuff is is really good as well. Um, but yeah, I just um, North by Northwest. There's just some standout scenes in there. That sort of um, is it the scene on Mount Rushmore, and then you've got the the plane going over the um, the crop fields as well, and it's just like mistaken identity kind of thing going on. Um, yeah, Vertigo. And this is this. Is, so why is Hitchcock there? It's not just because of we list the name of films, but it's how he made those films, and some of the shots he did. So Vertigo is a classic, and I don't know if he was the first guy to do it because we talked about it in Jaws. Yeah. In, um, the dolly Fox. zoom. Yeah, the dolly zoom, and I don't know if that was <clears throat> either um, invented by Hitchcock or if it was just like one of the first mainstream films to do the dolly zoom. But it was so effective in Vertigo. It actually, like, you know, you, like, look at it and go, whoa, yeah, you get the sense of height and dizziness. Really, really good. This is a guy as well who grew up and film was in its kind of uh, infancy in a way. Right? He was born in 1899. Right. He made his first film, which was a silent film, in 1922. So he was 23 years old. Wow. Um, and he, he made films from the age of 23 until 1976 um, where he would have been 77 years old and he died at 80 so he basically made made films for the best part of 60 years nice from silent films to sound only films so he's audio... been through a big era of film development he's obviously been influencing stuff as well and I think that's the thing what makes a great director is they leave their footprint don't they and they've been yeah. and they've been copied or They've been referenced, and we talk about that a lot, don't we? And we talk about maybe Psycho being a classic example of there was Psycho 2 and there was Psycho 3. You know, it's sort of like there's got to be a follow-up to the, the, the Norman Bates Motel. And actually, there's a Sky Bates Motel um, yeah. series on as well. If, if you just think about the evolution, though, for someone who's born in 1899, what film was doing then to silent films, to sound-only films, to black and white, to colour, and also there's been a couple of world wars in between that as well. The, yeah. So the, the evolution he would have gone through as a director, I mean, unparalleled, I would have thought. Yeah, and I think... It's weird. I mean, have you watched... Um, there's a, um, like a biopic about the birds and Tippi Hedrum, and apparently he was a bit of a... Oh, I'd ha I, hate, I hate to reference Harvey Weinstein <laughs> in the same... <laughs> name but it's a very very difficult guy to get along with i think um apparently I, it was, yeah. I, I actually i was saying about the hitchcock season i i first watched actually i remember him doing a series of programs called alfred hitchcock presents which had a great theme tune but it's very much um along the lines of tales of the unexpected as well so if that's kicking around anywhere on a streaming service i'd highly recommend that nice so um, what I think we'll do here, I've got some, got some stats here online um, based on 30 films, which is excluding some of the early work that wasn't successful, excluding short films. 
So based on 30 films, what do you think his total gross was in the box office? Difficult, because we're talking about 50s, 60s, maybe 70s here, aren't we? Um, yeah, I can tell you he's 617th in the list of top grossing directors. Okay, so I think, I, think, I think we're in the millions and not the billions like of the Avengers, and we're probably low millions, and I, and I would probably say um, complete stab at 180 million. That is an exceptional guess. Oh, really? 220 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That is it. I mean, I know you're 40 million out, but that is a great shot. Cheers, mate. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think you can have a top five list without Hitchcock in there. Oh, cheers. Was he in yours? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> I, know, I know you would pick him. Okay, mate. Yeah. My, my list is going to be controversial as fuck. Okay. So. Well, let's, well, let's go to yours then. So I'm going to get one of them out of the way very, very quickly. Um, and I'm going for Martin Scorsese. Okay, yeah. Well, similarly, I don't think you can have um, a top five list without Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I mean, talking about directors partnering with actors regularly, you've got the De Niro link for Scorsese. You've got the DiCaprio link as well. Yeah. Uh, big fans of both of them. But, I mean, just if you, if you almost had a top, a, you know, like a greatest hits... Uh, compilation of films, Scorsese's filmography is it? Like, I I wouldn't pick any films out of his filmography because I think every film he's done has been standout. And there's one coming up as well called Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. Which is based on a book which I'm very excited about. It's uh, uh is it's a about, thing? It's about the birth of the FBI and some murders and stuff. So I can tell there's going to be some real complex stuff in there. But just to rattle off a few of his films, obviously, we've got Taxi Driver, we've got Raging Bull, we've got Goodfellas, we've got Cape Fear, Casino, Gangs of New York, Departed, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street, hmm. Irishman on Netflix. Yeah. Did he do The Last Temptation of Christ? Yes, he did, yeah. See, that's, that's a nuts film. It's mental. Um, but then he did like the Age of Innocence, which is um, I remember that's I think it's Daniel Day Lewis and Bill yeah. um, Pfeiffer, but it's based on a book. And I remember remember doing that for my English degree. I'm just thinking, bit of a departure for him, but a very much a period piece where he could probably get his teeth into. And he loves that kind of stuff, that attention to detail. I think that was set in sort of turn of the century New York. He probably go. Yeah, he'll be really on point to make that a really good film. Yeah, I mean, and also like some of the films, I think they're probably a bit too obviously commercially successful or quite mainstream feeling. But the, the way Scorsese kind of puts together twists and turns is just so good for me. Like you know, yeah. all his films have these twists in. Like you think. The, the, like The Departed, Shutter Island. Shutter Island is such a good film. Yeah, I, I think see that again. It's, um, it's quite a dark thing. Is that Tom Hanks and DiCaprio? Yeah, it, it, there's just... It's it's quite complicated. Right. Um, but it's, it's complicated when things start clicking in your head about it. But, you know, there's it, it's quite open as well. So it's open to interpretations okay. to what is going on. Right, I need to have another revisit of that. But I love but the, the fact that he's, he's got his boxing film, Raging Bull, which is 
some people would say the best film of the 80s. Um, Goodfellas, some would say that's the best film of the 90s. Yeah. You know, it's, it's absolutely nuts. Um, you know, Goodfellas he did in 1990. He did Cape Fear remake, from Max Cady, 1991. Throws out Casino, which, I, I mean, even if he didn't have Goodfellas and all the other mob films, Casino's amazingly good. And De Niro again. But uh, Cape Fear was on TV the other night. Um, oh, and I've forgotten how I, the end of it is almost funny because he just won't fucking die. The yeah, hero just won't funny. fucking die. <laughs> just funny. Um, is there any film that Scorsese's done where you thought, mm, a little bit, mm. Yeah, so, I mean, The Aviator. Yeah, I was going to say The Aviator. Um, but I think that's, I think it, it's more of an American thing, right? Like, Have you seen um, Silence? No, I haven't. I was just looking at that. So that's... Um... I mean, challenging is not the word, but I actually really enjoyed it. It's, you, mm. you go through the process, you come out, and I, I think about two and a half hours long or something, but um, it's kind of... How would I say it? It's um, These guys go on a crusade, religious crusade, but I, I just love the fact that it's got Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver in it, and there's a bit with Liam Neeson, and there's, there's, there, there is some brutality in it. I don't know. Name a film without some brutality by Scorsese, but um, yeah, well worth a uh, worth a look at. Well that. worth a watch. Two actors I think are massively underrated: Garfield and Driver. Um, Dr I watched Driver in a series called Girls. Oh right, yeah. Like sort of a modern Sex and the City. Yeah. I think that that might, that might have launched him, but he was yeah, he's good crazy. He's obviously in all the Star Wars, but um, Gar Garfield being Spider Man. I didn't think much of him until I watched him in Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It's like that Mel Gibson one. It's really yeah. good. So good. That's so, yeah, Scorsese, um, what are you saying for... You could probably do a whole episode on Scorsese as well. I would, love to do, I would love to do just a, an episode on Taxi Driver and then an episode on Raging Bull and then an episode on Goodfellas. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, shout out to listeners. If you want us to do an episode on a particular one, we'll, we'll do it. And yeah. don't, don't, don't really care if it's only for one person. <laughs> yeah. Because we'll happily do it. Yeah, we'll happily do it. So where do you think Scorsese sits in the, in the box office? He's, he's going to be well up there. I mean, definitely top 10, if not top five, because he's, he's current as well. He's still turning, turning stuff out. I mean, I think he's probably number five, four. Hold on while I verify, um, because he's not. He's, <laughs> he's not even in there. 50, 52nd. Are you kidding me? He's 50. Apparently. Right, okay. Right, so you want total grossing box office numbers for Scorsese yeah. as 52nd? I, I, oh, I, 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 800, hang on a minute, 800 million. 800 what? 850 million. 2.1 billion. God. And he's 52nd. Yep, yep. 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 Okay. So what have you got for me? So my second choice, little bit of a curveball, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, a foreign uh, director, Austrian uh, director, um, uh, and I know I've 
talk to you about this guy before, Michael Haneke. And um, I remember watching um, one of the, the first film I watched was called Code Unknown. And it was just like, what the hell is this? And it's just like a really weird, it's almost like a, he does these sort of voyeuristic films. Okay. Um, almost not entirely sure the premise and it'll just take you on a on a journey into somebody else's lives and there might be something really dark or brooding driving the plot um and you eventually sort of like go along with it um but he's done a quite a few films that are just quite quite dark quite troubling but i kind of like that (laughs) i wouldn't even say they're kind of dystopian because they're kind of modern day contemporary films but maybe there's a political um, or religious or some sort of message or agenda behind them. So I remember you talking to me about Amour. Yeah, Amour. That's one of his more recent ones. We're about haunting. elderly couple. I think one of them is suffering from dementia or one loses their life. The one's left alone. And, you know, a lot of his films are left very open-ended without explicitly telling you what's happened but very much kind of subtly telling you that's that's definitely happened, but we're not going to explicitly put it on film. And that makes, the way he does that, you're kind of left thinking, oh, God, oh, really? But I don't think I've seen any of his films. Um, Well, you would have seen potentially funny games, but the, the American Hollywood remake of it, and it's about a couple that go on holiday to their into the Hamptons or the holiday home. So this is the US remake. And two two fellas turn up and basically start terrorising a family. But you don't really know what their motive is and what's actually going on. And it just turns into this... It's almost like a horror film. It's just nuts. Nice. But I'd recommend Code Unknown, Caché is a great film. White Ribbon just really unsettling and it's kind of how's he got in your top five then talk to me well just because of that unsettling very subtle way of original well i think he's original um it's probably not original who is who is original right but i just think um i just find it wholly absorbing um i just i love finding out you know you watch a film and then, I, then I'll do some research about why he's made that film and what, what, what the motivation is behind it. And it makes me understand it a hell of a lot more. But I like watching his films for the first time without knowing the premise. And then, because there are surprises in there. And I'm kind of like left. Sometimes I'm just completely gobsmacked. Sometimes I'm scratching my head. And I go, geez, man, what was that about? And like, The White Ribbon is a really dark film. It's set in like the early 1900s. And it's um, in Germany, and there's lots of these like incidents that are happening, and um, there's almost like nasty little incidents that are happening, and you're kind of like, what the hell's going on here? But it's set in a really sort of like uh, Nazi, like fascist atm- a- atmosphere with um, you know, there's lots of rules for the kids and stuff like that. And you just go, what is this about? Is this his take on? Um, pre-Second World War, kind of pre-First World War, is this his, his, 
his, his vision of like the state of what's happening in Germany. I don't, okay. Is that his commentary? I don't know. Um, is that it's subjective? I think to a certain degree, but it just brings you in. You're you're watching these events unfold. And I'm like, geez, that's that's weird. What what's going on here? So yeah, that's why he's in there. Cool. Watch him. I I I, I absolutely guarantee you. If you start watching Michael Haneke. You'll just be looking for the next Michael Haneke film. Okay. That, that's what, well, and you might not, but that's how I feel about it. No idea where he's going to end up on the um, <laughs> list, even if he's on the list. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, Put you down a, uh, a Werner Herzog hole. Well, he's an honourable mention for me. Hey. Um, Another Austrian. Is he? I'm sure he's Austrian. He's German. Oh, he's German. Okay. Same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Edit. Um, um, well, let's do a quick on, honourable mention. Werner Herzog, great, great documentary filmmaker, particularly. Amazing. Uh, he's done some, you know, incredible documentaries. One of the, one of which you've recommended to me recently called Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which oh. I really watch, which is about uh, caveman drawings in in France. Yes. Um, there's, there's a really good one called Into the Abyss, um, which is about uh, two men convicted of a, a murder. Um, yeah. There's a, a brilliant one that I stumbled across called Grizzly Man, <laughs> which is about a guy who goes to live with the bears when they're um, before they hibernate, and he, he basically gets killed by the bears. Um, but, yeah, so I love Werner Herzog. Have you got an honourable mention? Um, oh God, yeah. Um, honourable mentions for me um, are going to include actually I had Scorsese down as an honourable mention by the way. Um, oh. Oh, I've got John Carpenter down and Sam Raimi as horror nice. um, directors. Um I did ask Steven Spielberg down as an honourable mention. Werner Herzog was one as well. So there's a few that I've mentioned. I think maybe I'll save my honourable mentions to the end and, and rattle through them. I had Hitchcock as an honourable mention. Okay. I'll rattle through them. So you've done two, so I'll go on to my next one. Yes, mate. And that is Quentin Tarantino. Oh, great, OK. So he's in mine. He's in mine, and I, in, I know he's not in yours, he was in that other one, but because of, I think the subtlety of, of some of his films, and that sounds a bit strange, but okay. I think his films are quite cult-like, and he's, I think, the, the geek's fan in terms of filmmakers. Like, he, he's such a geek himself. Yeah. And he tries new techniques. He's... I feel like he's, like, still a film school graduate, but he's so pure to what he he wants to do rather than going along with the mainstream um and i think he said he was only going to make something like 10 films yes and he's on let me just count one two three four, five, six, but he's been involved in a lot more than 10 films but maybe yeah but he, if you works. if you count kill bill as one film he's done nine okay is there something in the pipeline? There's definitely something in the pipeline, isn't there? Oh, no, what's the most recent one? Is that that Brad Pitt's uh, something in Hollywood? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. Have you seen that? No. 
not seen it either. I've seen Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django, and Hateful Eight, though. Sorry, Death Proof. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Any good? It's not as good as his other films. Okay. It's about uh, like a, a, a stunt car. Right, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's got Kurt Russell in it. Um, okay. But I, I, so the Hateful Eight, for instance, was. Mm. I think the first film Tarantino wanted to make. Yeah. But he just never, he's never able to get round to doing it. And he, he managed to get round to do it recently. And The Hateful Eight is, you know, filmed in a room, much like Reservoir Dogs, with, you know, a set of key characters, much like Reservoir Dogs, yeah. heavy on the dialogue. Um, and I feel like that film, um, Death Proof, is something he's wanted to do and he's done it so he's happy okay it's yeah. worth watching don't get me wrong <clears throat> you know what it's like with some directors i suppose and the way it works with studios it's kind of like yeah pretty good you've made a really good cult film reservoir dogs lovely oh shit you did pulp fiction bang now you're now that's great big box office mash it's almost like now you can do what the fuck you want for a bit yeah i mean it's He's known for his violence as well, which I, I just love a violent film. Yeah, he's not he's not trying to pander or make make a 15 film a 12A. It's just like, you're going to make an 18 film because there's going to be blood, guts, lots of swearing, a lot of violence. There's going to be some... Um, so what's your favourite Tarantino film? Um, it's, that's difficult. I'd, I'd probably... Oh, it's so hard. It's... Be- it's between Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, um, Your early ones, and Django. I, I'm a big fan of Django. Okay. Um, but he's also had a hand in um, Sin City. You know the. the oh, the... do you know what? I watched Sin City two yeah, um, last month, and I, I absolutely loved it. I yeah. mean, it's bonkers and nuts, but I love this. It's a great cast in there. I just love the way it's been produced. Um, almost like what's it, a comic book. And it's obviously based on comic books, right? Um, but I just think, what a, what, what a great couple of films. Romp along, loads of violence. You can tell Tarantino's got his hands all over that. Yeah, he also was executive producer of Hostel and Hostel Part 2. <laughs> the, um, what, what, um, they're called... Um, Horror porn, aren't they? Or gore yeah, porn? Snuff. <laughs> not, not quite, but yeah, it's um, not real life stuff, but yeah. So I can't find an accurate number for his total gross, um, so mm-hmm. we might have to skip that. The only number I can find is 800 million, which I don't think is right at all. Got to be higher than that, isn't it? Yeah. I would have thought. Mind you, Scorsese, 2.2 billion. Yeah, don't know. Django Unchained did four hundred and thirty million on its own in the box oh, office, so that, right. that can't be right. Yeah, and but if you it, think about all the money Pulp Fiction would have made since its initial release in what the early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, um nice shot. two for me. Nice. Two for you. Um yeah, I'm gonna rattle through. This is probably a little bit populist, but I've gotta say it, Christopher Nolan. Yes. A... He was my fifth, but I had to remove him because I, I thought 
I can't pick Christopher Nolan just on the Batman films and not other people. I I, I actually think the Batman films, albeit just absolutely love them to bits, think they're a brilliant trilogy of films and I'm really, really pleased he did the Batman films. I just think that's the tip of the iceberg. Outside of that, he's just done some amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, Inception's amazing. The Prestige yeah. is so good. Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk, I was kind of like a bit meh. So, you know, as going through the actors, it's almost like, sorry, the directors, the one film that is a bit rubbish. And, and Dunkirk isn't rubbish, right? It's just not as good. <laughs> um, I know Interstellar, um, sort of polarised people, but I really, really like it. And I, Memento, Memento, amazing film. Memento is such a good film. It's funny because I didn't really like Dunkirk. I, I, I really like a war film, but I felt it was just too, it was made too much for Hollywood. A bit paint by um, numbers, a bit like we're going to tell a story. This is how I don't know if it, if, if, it, if it was a retelling of an original film, but even in Dunkirk, I mean, this is the thing that I like about Christopher Nolan, put the Batman films to one side, is he loves playing with time. Yeah. So there's definitely that influence in Dunkirk about I don't know if it's the air, the land, and the sea played over three different time periods and it flicks between the three of them so there's definitely that going on obviously memento where it's almost like a film in reverse and then there's if you i think if you have the dvd you can watch the special feature about actually this is how it plays out in real time going forwards which yeah. like that um interstellar there's a beautiful piece where matthew mahonicky has to go to the other planet and for every second he spends there, it's like seven years elsewhere. So he only goes for 20 seconds, but it's like he comes back and watches a video of his kids growing up and stuff like that. It's heartbreaking. I love yeah. it. I, 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 that's the thing that threw off Interstellar for me, the whole time thing. Okay. So I, so, and I think that's why I divided opinion, because I loved it. Other people... You love time travel, though, don't you? Yes. Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. Um, also, though, The Prestige doesn't get much credit. He, 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 he smashed out The Prestige between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. No, just such a, such a great film. I mean, that's got, that's got David Bowie in it. I mean, Christian Bale. I mean, I think, is that, is that kind of Christopher Nolan's muse, if you like, and that, that kind of like, he's my go-to actor, right? Yeah. Um, I, just, I just love that story. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's based on a real um, event and stuff like that. Um, but it's got a great cast in it. It's got Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine. It's got Andy Serkis in it. It's just amazing. He's got a film coming out soon called Tenet. Yes. I can't wait for that. Literally can't um, wait. We're so excited about that. So that's going to be decent. Well, um, absolutely. It lives up to the hype, right? I mean, if it's anything like... You know, when Inception came out, I mean, I was just like, Bleh. this is like, you know, like in the 90s, the Matrix happened, right? And then yeah. modern day, like in the, in, the, in, the, in the 2000s, I'm like, Christopher Nolan is making stuff like Inception and hopefully Tenet will be kind of like that. Everybody looking forward to it as well. Absolutely. Great. Um, yeah. The Obviously, we could do a series on just the, the the Batman films as well. Like he he completely completely changed Batman for me. It it was almost I think 
a bit of a joke before. Right. Um, yeah, when it just became a bit like almost almost like a Bond film, tongue, everything had to be tongue-in-cheek. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in there and stuff like that. Just, uh. I mean, I love, I, love, I love an Arnie film, but... Yeah, but he's changed it. He made, he made it real life for me. It was believable because it was, you know, it was more realistic. Um, so Christopher Nolan, thankfully, his numbers are easy to find. Okay, um, he'll be up there with the likes of Scorsese, I would have thought. Um, Scorsese was forty seventh. Right, right, I thought he's fifty second. Something um, like that. Whatever. All right, tell me where Nolan is in the list then. Seventh. Oh shit. Okay, I didn't think he would have made more, but obviously he has. So I'm going to go with um, two point eight billion. The leading which was The Dark Knight Rises with 1.1 billion. I want to know what the net worth is of Christopher Nolan versus Martin Scorsese, although they are poles apart in this list. I wonder actually if Scorsese's just worth more money because he's he's done more films, been around a longer time, um, and he's been paid more from the studio. You never know though, because if they do like a profit share or something. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's like George Lucas obviously did the Star Wars film. And I think some of the actors got like a went in on the profit share thing and obviously just completely minted off the back of it. Um, so the internet reckons Scorsese is worth 150 million. Okay, for Scorsese. And Christopher Nolan is worth. Come on. 250 million. Yeah, so actually, based upon where they are on the list and how much they've made, relatively, that's about right, isn't it? Yeah. Decent. Okay. You got a, um, we're going to crack on with one of your... your so I've only got two more. Yeah. And I'm going to go for obvious and then I'm going to go for controversial. Okay, which one are you going to throw in? My obvious one is Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, yeah, okay. He's not in mine because I knew you would have him in yours. <laughs> and, um, I, and I'd say that for the obvious reason. Just damn well can't get it through a podcast without mentioning Cannibal, um, Godfather Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm Godfather Part 2 is one of the greatest films that has ever been made. I could, even if he just made that film, I, there, right? I'd have to put him in. Yeah. Yeah, just an immense piece of work, isn't it? It's just just so enjoyable. Um, but the other stuff that he's done, I mean, for me, he's done the greatest war film. So for you, he's probably done the, the best gangster mafia film. For me, he's done the best war film of all time. Um, but there's obviously a hell of a lot more going on with Coppola, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a hell of a lot more going on. A lot of his other films haven't necessarily been as successful and there's probably quite a few that people have never heard of. Right. But this is a guy who's done Apocalypse Now, as you are you referring to. Yeah. But he's also done uh, the Godfather trilogy. Yeah. And he's also did the film Jack. <laughs> really? Robin Williams playing... Oh, is that one? Oh, wow. Yeah. Flipping egg. Didn't realise he did that. Yeah. 
tell us about that. So that's that film with Robin Williams where basically um, he's born and he's, he ages incredibly quickly. Oh, okay. So he's like basically a 30-year-old man in a 10-year-old's body. Okay. I was just reading about that, and it's really weird because it was, it was also unfavourably compared with the 1988 film Big. And it feels like it's a different film. And why yeah, I mean, would you compare it to that? He ages rapidly in this. Right. Uh, but I don't think it was particularly successful in the box office. I am such a massive, massive fan of Robin Williams though um, and being called Jack it was a film I watched several times growing up it's um, apparently Francis Ford Coppola and Robin Williams were really good friends oh. and that was the film that they both mutually agreed you know, like Robin Williams said I'm only making this film if Francis Ford Coppola directs it and Francis Ford Coppola went, well you're my mate I better do it and he said he doesn't regret it, but it's a bit like a mm. bit of a stinker in the middle of a. <laughs> I mean, what yeah. is it like? Is it all right? It's. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's, it's a. It's a nineties kids film, so. Yeah. You know, think the problem child, think Dennis the Menace, think, you know, stuff like that. Um, also, um, he's done uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I thought was all right. Yeah, he also did The Great Gatsby. The Great Cats, what, the modern one? No, the original. Okay. Well, not the original, or the 70s version. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just trying to think who was in that. Um... But he also, he directed Return to Oz, which is probably a bit of a, a stinker for a few people, but it's not that bad, actually. Not that bad. He um, did, um, what, what? He also... Sorry, oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say, he did The Outsiders, which is just an epic sort of youth coming-of-age film. Just really, really good. And that is a who's who of sort of an original Brat Pack film. Just amazing. So he's, yeah, I mean, he's also exec, been executive producer of plenty of films, but to, to call a few out, um, The Secret Garden, which I actually really like. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Sleepy Hollow. Oh, nice. Yeah, Jeepers really Creepers. Sleepy Hollow. Jeepers Creepers, which is horrendous. Um, Lost in Translation. Oh, that, well, that's, yeah, well, that's great, isn't it? Bill Murray. Just yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's some big ones in there, but um, he's only in there, really, for The Godfather for me. Can I tell you about The Outsiders, just because it it's like a really great film. So that's Please got Pat, do. Patrick Swayze in it, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Diane Lane, uh, Tom Cruise, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio. It's just like, if, if I mean, obviously, some of those are dead now, but if you made yeah. a film with those in it today, it would just cost you an absolute fortune and probably be an amazing box office smash. Or it just wouldn't be possible to make because <laughs> of, of egos and calendars and all the rest of it. Together, yeah. yeah. Um, so, right. what are you yeah. saying? What are you saying for where do you think Coppola ranks? Having made the greatest film that's ever been watched ever, where do you think he, <laughs> where do you think he ranks in in box office gross? Well, bearing in mind those, you know, you talk about The Godfather. That's sort of like the seventies, early eighties, and Apocalypse Now, eighties again. I mean, and, oh, he, he won't be up there with Christopher Nolan, 
maybe not even Scorsese. So I'd probably say he's like a, an 80th, 90th. 170th. Jesus Christ. Okay. So I'm going to go in with 1.2 billion. 970 million. But nice shot. Wow. So that's my third and penultimate one because I've got so many honourable mentions I couldn't pick a fifth. Okay. What, who is your third? No, fourth. My fourth. <clears throat> this, is, this might be a little bit controversial, actually. I'm going to go with James Cameron. Okay. Um, and I know he's done... I, I think he's done a, a, a fair few stinkers, frankly. And he's one of these directors that probably because of some of his successes, he's been allowed to make the films that he's wanted to make. So, yeah. obviously, I think he was influential in two of the biggest films of all time, Titanic and Avatar. And I think because of those... I mean, people love the Titanic, right? And I understand why. I'm a bit like, eh, fine. Yeah, I mean, people um, used to go and see that like 10 times and stuff. And it was number one in the box office for like 18 years. Crazy. Um, and obviously Avatar, he got the license to do like a refresh of the 3D genre. Um, and I even went to the cinema to see that, and I came out just thinking, well, I'm never going to get that 10 quid back all that two and a half hours. But Well, it's funny because, well, obviously, let, let's not talk about Avatar too much, but I watched Avatar in the cinema when, you know, 3D films first came out. Yeah. And I watched it like in a 3D IMAX or whatever the hell it was, and I came out like... I, my mind was completely blown. Okay. I was like, this is one of the greatest spectacles I've ever witnessed. That's really interesting. So you had a different experience to, to me because actually I I watched that film with the 3D glasses thinking, it's just making the film a bit darker. Yeah, some of the visuals are quite nice. But the story itself, I'm just like, what a pile of shite. Well, so when it came out on DVD or when it was released afterwards, I was like, right, I'm watching this again. And I watched it again and I thought, oh, so it is, if, you, if you went to film school and you plotted out a, a, a character arc of going through challenges, overcoming challenges, getting the girl, saving the world, closing the loop, it's just that. And I agree. I'm just like, oh, so actually if you take away all the spectacle and the CGI and stuff, it's shit. Yeah. But, but, John, how about we talk about James Cameron's good contributions? Oh, well, uh, this is... This, where do you want to start? This is, this is where I get kind of uh, really excited by stuff because he made Aliens, and I'm just like, as a kid, that was just, like, bloody amazing. Um, he made The Terminator. Are you kidding me? These are two of the best science fiction action films that have ever been made ever so the fact that he's made other stuff like avatar just those two again i mean if you just say he, he makes the list for terminator and aliens yeah and I, I and i know he made the abyss which i think at the time was a bit like shit this is an overblown big budget mess but i really like the abyss actually and i know james cameron is really into his deep water i think he's got his own like sub aqua bloody machine or something like that but i really enjoyed that he was in he made true lies he made the the terminator follow-up which is probably the best sequel i think i've ever said apart from francis four copies godfather two <laughs> he's also um got two films coming out in 2021 and 2023 okay 
So the, that's the good news. The bad news is it's Avatar 2 and Avatar 3. They're not, are they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But he, also, he also did Rambo Part 2. There you go. Absolutely fantastic. In between, see, this is what blows my mind about, you know, we talk about these big drawn-out sequels and stuff and how you know, they don't make them how they used to. Like, they've, they'd rattle two or three out back-to-back back in a couple of years. No, um, James Cameron did The Terminator in 1984. Yeah. Then did Rambo Part 2 in 1985. Nice. Then did Aliens in 1986. Just epic. So, three years in a row. I mean, Rambo Part Two. Okay, it, you know, some people might be questioning that, but it's it, it, it serves its purpose. Yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, he must have collaborated quite a few times with um, Schwarzenegger. So all of the Terminator films, um, I know, he's in True Lies as well. Maybe that was the only two. But I mean, I love the fact that he's just made a really big, fun um, actioner. True Lies, and just thought, well, I'm going to shove Arnie in there as well. Oh, well, and we'll have Jamie Lee Curtis for good for good measure. And it kind of shouldn't work, but it does. I it think. does, yeah. So, James Cameron is an obvious one for box office. Yeah, um, he's got to be well up there because of Avatar. Um, and Titanic must be. Titanic. So he's got to be top twenty, surely. Yep. Okay, so that puts him in better the than top twenty, mate. Top 10. He's better than top 10, mate. Five. He's fifth. Jesus, man. Right. So. Avatar on its own was 2.8 billion. Oh, my God. Just Avatar is more commercially successful than all of Martin Scorsese's films. That's. It's. I just. This is what's wrong with everybody (laughs) and everything. Um, So, obviously, in the billions, I'm going to go with. because of the Terminator shit as well, and the aliens, fuck. Um, got to be 8.9 billion. Not a bad guess, and I like the logic of because of the Terminator shit and the aliens, fuck. Not that high, right? Um, it's uh, 6.2 billion. But you're talking, this is, I mean, obviously films aren't just one guy, but as a director... He's instrumental in bringing films yeah. to mass market audiences and making popularist, great action films. And yeah. And at the end of this, we'll do a quick run through of the top 10 directors by grossing. Nice. Um, so I've got my fourth and final before, that's like, that's before you your fifth and final, and then we go into a long list of honorable mentions. Yeah. So I've gone for something completely different here because. I just love everything this person has put out and having watched documentaries about this director and how he encourages his cast and gets them to ad-lib and develops actors. And he's also British. Is it David Lean? (laughs) No, it's not David Lean. It's Shane Meadows. Shane Meadows, brilliant. What a great shout. Now, that's interesting because we, we, we're talking films and movies here, right? Um, but I know Shane Maddows has done some of the best British series of all time. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I just love that shout. So, so he's so, probably well known for directing This Is England, the film. Yep. But he also obviously directed the TV series, which is just some of the best TV I've ever seen. Yeah. 
and more recently he did the virtues which we watched together didn't we not not literally together but we watched it as it was on tv jeez man i mean amazing and the fact that you've got see this is amazing you've got this sort of relatively small vehicle called the virtues it's about a very dark subject matter but the great thing is you've you've got Stephen Graham absolutely bloody nailing it and then he turns up in The Irishman with Martin Scorsese yeah. Stephen Graham thank god you're doing something like The yeah. Irishman because you're so damn good he's you're so awesome. good and and I think that's what the good thing about Shane Meadows is he gets the best out of the actors um, when you think like... about <clears throat> This Is England and where and the actors that he had in that and where they are now um, it is amazing and I, and I love that kind of story about this is the, the trampoline or the catapult, if you like, to, to showcase how good these actors are. Uh, and I actually think because some of them have gone on and they haven't worked with Shane Meadows, actually they are damn good actors. Yeah. I, I mean, he, Jack O'Connell was in This Is England. I mean, he's not in it for very long, but Shane Meadows obviously has a, an eye for talent. But what a risk for directors to take to do all these young kids who've never acted before. Yeah. Um, but make something of them. But I would also say there's another film um, he's directed called A Room for Romeo Brass. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is quite subtle, but it's about, you know, a couple of kids growing up. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, there's, a the, um, it's, there's a bit on the playing field where they're playing football, isn't there? And like, I don't know if it's the dad or something. It's like, oh, stop, stop playing with that football or something. It just like really stands out and like, yeah, gets a bit of kicking or something like that. I think it was Paddy Considine's first yeah. film as well, who's, who's amazing. Um, but it, but also Andrew Shim, Vicky McClure's in it, who end up in um, This Is England. Uh, but there's also another shout out for a documentary that he made, The Stone Roses Made of Stone, which oh, yes. is just, it's nuts. It's so good. But obviously, that if people are a fan of Supersonic, you know, the Oasis documentary, um, it's the same sort of vibe of, you know, Ma the Manchester scene, the Manchester scene, the music. But it's about them coming back and doing a, you know, reunion tour. And if, if, if anyone hasn't seen that, they have to see it. Yeah. And, and, and I remember watching something about <clears throat> Shane Meadows just saying, I can't believe Ian Brown et al have asked me to make this music because <laughs> yeah. i'm such a massive fan of stone roses i can't believe i'm actually doing this but it, but you look at it and go yeah but shane meadows you're fucking amazing director i just you're want him to release more films keep you know so so that was my sort of controversial one um yeah. not controversial at all i think that's an amazing shout bearing in mind what he's done two or three films yeah so, I, I mean, how much he's grossed at the box office? That might be quite hard to find out. He's four thousand five hundred thirty-third. Okay, so I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with. Um, uh, six hundred thousand. One point six million. Decent. Yeah. I've done Shane Meadows. Long may you continue. Yeah. So. Who's your fifth and final? Oh, my fifth and final one. Um, it's uh, Sergio Leone. Ooh. The, um, the inventor of the spaghetti western. So this is a guy, you know, prior to him, there were like 
the John Houston's and the John Ford's and all those John, what's a John here? John Wayne films and stuff like that. Um, Gregory Packing, sort of like um, the big country and all this kind of stuff going on. And then along comes a, this 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 movement in the '60s called the Spaghetti Western with with Clint Eastwood. And I'm just like jaw-droppingly good. Now, obviously, I wasn't alive when they were first made, but I remember as a kid watching these films. I'm just thinking, Jesus, man, this is this is another level of Western. This is something completely brand new. And the way he, he sort of cast um, Clint Eastwood, he had Eli Wallach in it, and he had Yoel Brynner in it. No, was it Yoel Brynner? It's um, Angel Eyes. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you know, I mean, this is this is really topical at the moment, but do you know why they're called Spaghetti Westerns? Um, I just assume because Sergio Leone was Italian for a start. But basically, yeah, because a, a, a few Italian directors started doing some Western epic films, so they just labelled them Spaghetti Westerns in a really racist, sort of xenophobic kind of way. Okay, so we'll name, we'll name a genre of film after... Well, you eat spaghetti. Like well, well, because because they're Italian, so they must eat spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Awful. Yeah, they 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 kind of uh, the carbonara western doesn't fit. <laughs> Lasagna. <laughs> the Neapolitan western. Actually, the Neapolitan western probably. Why didn't they go with that? That would have been better. Yeah. Are we being racist because I'm saying pizza toppings and pastas? I mean, it, it's certainly a sign of the times, isn't it? Anyway, so the trilogy. That I see as a trilogy, Fist, uh, Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more, and then The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which I, bet I put in my, one of my top five war films. There are just things within that, little Easter eggs, stuff that, you know, the, there's the music of Ennio Morricone in there as well. And I'm just like, I could just sit and watch Sergio Leone all day long. And he, he made Once Upon a Time in America as well, which was just an absolutely brilliant sort of gangster mafia flick. Yeah. Just, Jesus, man. I don't think he's got a, a, a really big body of work, but what he did contribute to cinema, I think, just absolutely amazing. Well, that's why I've picked a few people in my honourable mentions, actually. I'm just conscious that we're running out of time here. Um, but what, where do you reckon Sergio Leone sits on the box office list? Um, probably 208. 1,800th. OK. So um, 1.2 million. 24000000 that's what the uh, that's what I meant. Yeah. So uh, how about we do? How about what we do now is we go. I'll do the top five directors by grossing, and then we'll rattle off some honourable mentions. Let's rattle off some quick honourable mentions with some of the films that we like, and then we're done. Yeah. So five James Cameron, six point two billion. Number four Michael Bay, oh. ruining childhoods forever, six point four billion. That guy needs to star in one of his own films and get mangled. <laughs> Number three Peter Jackson. Okay. 6.5 billion. Number two, the Russo brothers for the Avengers, Avengers 6.8 billion. Oh. And number one, a first proper mention for Steven Spielberg, 10.5 billion. I love the fact that Steven Spielberg is number one, beats the Russo brothers, even though they're associated with the biggest films now of all time. And But Steven Spielberg just gets in there. So Steven Spielberg, I, I was debating between Nolan and Spielberg for my number five. That's why I had to say neither, because how can you have a list of top five directors without Spielberg for exactly. all the films he's done and what he's done for film? But I just felt it was too easy. 
Um, so my my other honourable mentions we've sat, we've had Nolan, we've had Cameron, uh, Kubrick's in the list. Yeah. Um, Spielberg's in the list. Ron Howard. Oh really? You got Ron Howard in there? Yeah. And then I've got I've almost got a top five honourable mentions right. So Ron Howard was number five. Uh, Harold Ramis number four. Wow. Um, M Night Shyamalan. M Night Shyamalan. Akira Kurosawa. Okay, so that's um, Seven Samurai and yeah. um, ooh, the other uh, Rashomon. Absolutely groundbreaking in terms of the film industry. Again, like completely changed and influenced people infinitely, like Tarantino, for instance. And then I've also got Guillermo del Toro in there. Oh, yes. God, Guillermo del Toro. Just fantastic. Just really, really good. Um, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, and I love that film. A cracking film. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of honourable mentions. We have we have no female film director in here, and I'm going to have to put Catherine Bigelow in, and not just because she's female, but because there's there's a, a handful of films that she did which I think were absolutely knockout. The Hurt Locker, brilliant. Great film. And Zero Dark Thirty, I thought were amazing. She also did Point Break. Oh wow! In the early '90s, and I'm just like, do you know what? Three films that. Just brilliant. Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, Point Break. Definitely deserves a mention. The female thing's a good point, because I did have the Wachowski... Oh, right, OK. Wachowski's in my list, and I thought, I don't actually know um, whether they're the Wachowski sisters now or they identify as something else. OK. Um, um, another honourable mention, David Fincher, Fight Club, Seven, Gone Girl, The Girl yeah. with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm just like, yeah, you need to be in there. Um British filmmaker Ken Loach just loved the really gritty uh, sort of uh, stuff that he he does. Um, probably only appeals to British audiences though. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson I wanted in there because you've done There Will Be Blood, you've done The Master with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix, you've done Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Punch Drunk. Love, probably the only good Adam Sandler film ever made. <laughs> You've obviously not seen Click. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Don't, it's awful. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. I do want to mention more and more directors, but I think that pretty much sums it up. Oh, sorry, I really wanted to mention Ridley Scott uh, for Blade Runner. Um, and I wanted to mention Dennis Villeneuve for Arrival. Amazing. So that was a really difficult task, I think. So we did quite well. Um, and that's all we've got time for. So hit us up with any other requests and we'll think of a new new topic for next time. Did you pick this topic or did I? I think I picked this topic, but I do have another topic that I want to pick. And I was thinking about top five soundtracks. But let's have a chat about it. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's see what comes in. And uh, good night, Canada. Thank you for listening. <laughs> good to chat, mate. Take it easy. Cheers, mate. See you soon.